The Lord is good. I know that each of you woke up this morning thinking, I love this season in the church. And you're like, it's not Advent yet. Uh, it's not Lent. What is it? It's stewardship season. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So you should have got in the mail a, a stewardship packet. Or if you didn't do yesterday, uh, uh, this should arrive on Monday. And guess what? This is even in the resource center. So you're like, hey, I'm, they missed me. Aha. No, there's, uh, there's a, this is in the resource center. We just have it right for your name on it. And so you'll see uh, a pledge card, amongst other things, our annual budget. And so we're asking you, if you're married, to have that kitchen table talk and prayer around the kitchen table one night before November 13th. November 13th, what's going on? We are having the 60th anniversary celebration of Trinity Wellsprings Church. We have 60 reasons to celebrate God's faithfulness. Yeah, that was like a golf clap, uh, you know. That was like half-hearted. But anyway, uh, you're like, I wasn't here 60 years ago. Uh, well, Roy Gwaltney was, and he went with a bunch of saints from Trinity door to door in this community saying there is a new church plant. We'd love for you to be involved in that. Wouldn't that be awesome if we did that soon? Just went around door to door, got hurried out of town for that. The, uh, and so uh, that November 13th, that is a uh, second Sunday. We are all meeting as one church at 10 o'clock in the morning. There's going to be extended service with lunch afterwards, and we're going to ask you, you can either mail this in and say, here is what I want to contribute to the mission and ministry of Trinity Wellsprings Church. And so we'll have a time for you to dedicate your tithes and offerings on that day on November 13th. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Every book that I preach through, that's suddenly my favorite book. And uh, the same is true here in Ephesians as we're going through this book, Gospel Truths for Gospel Living. And so last week, we sort of ended on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And so you can turn in your pew Bible to 1160, 1160 on Ephesians chapter 3. Hear God's word for me and for you. I'm going to pick this up again at verse 7. Of chapter 3. Paul writes, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul ends this 
chapter with a great prayer. In fact, he, he sort of has interrupted himself. He starts praying at verse 1. If you look at verse 1, it says, For this reason I... And then he interrupts himself. If, so if you've ever interrupted yourself in prayer or been interrupted by your own thoughts, you are not alone. You're with Paul. Verse 14, he says, finally gets to the prayer, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the church joins Paul and says, Amen. Go to God in prayer. Father, our minds go to Psalm 8. What is man, O Lord, that you are mindful of him? Who are we, O Lord, that you should set your affection and your love upon us? You who created the, the fiery stars and the beautiful mountains, the roaring ocean, and stars and galaxies beyond our wildest comprehension. You, oh God, want us to understand the height, the breadth, the width, and the depth of the love of Christ, your Son. Lord, if we would just bow our knees, understand just a small, small portion of your great love for us, Lord, we know that our love our lives, our relationships, that our church, that this city would never be the same. So we pray that you would help us grasp the impossible to know the great love of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You saw the staff video. Uh, we were on a staff retreat on Monday and Tuesday at the Lakeside Retreat House in Orlando, Florida. Drew was the big winner of the uh, kayak race. Although I did say that, Drew, you're like third place, and then Christian decided to jump out of his canoe on Mike Elmer's kayak. And we, when he got back, he was like, what do you think? And we're like, buddy, you were like third place. He was like, no, I, I was like going through. The, I had the, the line of sight. They were going to go out, you know, so competitive no nature of our church staff, right? And also, we had a, a visitor, uh, Lucky Arnold, 40 years pastoring at First Presbyterian North Palm Beach, 70 years old, came to be with us to share a little bit about spiritual leadership, staff dynamics, and so we were thankful for him. It was great having a pastor that was 70 just 
distill his wisdom for us, his prayers for us. And so in this passage, we have the Apostle Paul praying for the Ephesians. And so I wonder, I'm not lucky, I know that I have 40 years of pastoral ministry in the very same place, but I wonder if you would allow me to pray for you. That channeling the Apostle Paul, that I might pray some wonderful prayers for you, that I have prayed for you this week and before. I'll continue to uh, pray for you. Praying is an act of love, and so I hope you feel loved when people pray for you. I have three prayers for you this morning. First one goes like this. I pray that you would grasp the rich implications of the gospel, Christ and the church. That is, when Paul prays that you would grow in Christ, the church is never incidental to that growth. The church is never optional to your growth in Christ. Gospel growth is nourished by the church as a tree emerges from the soil of the earth. Paul soars theologically in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And we celebrate it, we highlight it, we rally around it, we preach it. But in the very same chapter, verse 19, look at there. Verse 19, it says, so then, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the most godly, circular relationship that exists in the universe. The gospel of grace creates the people of God. Then the people of God preach and protect the gospel of grace. And so the letter of Ephesians is all about the centrality of the church in the purposes of God. All about the centrality of the church as you live out the implications of the gospel on an everyday basis. And so last week, we sort of stopped at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Let me read that again. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And again, we say, yes and amen. Paul is preaching about the unsearchable riches of Christ. But grace was also given to Paul not only to preach Christ, but also to highlight the centrality of the church in the plan of God. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, did you get that? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We'll get after that last phrase in a few weeks. But the point is this. Paul was given grace not for one reason, but for two. One, to preach the riches of Christ. And two, to make known this mystery. That the plan of purpose of, of the church is so central to the plan of God that you Gentiles are now engrafted into the people of God, as he says in verse 6 of chapter 3, fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus 
through the gospel. And so it's great when I'm in my study this week and I learn something new, even about the gospel, and it's this. The gospel saves you individually, but this gospel saves you unto a people. The gospel that saves you individually places you unmistakably in a communal setting called the church. The gospel is not just for you and your salvation. So I pray this morning that you would grasp the rich implications of the gospel, Christ and his body. So what about the people who say, I love Christ I love the gospel. I just hate the church. What about those people? Have you met them? You might be one of them from time to time, right? That person, very simply, is not a New Testament Christian. If a New Testament Christian is actually defined by the actual pages of the New Testament. So for the last month, I've come across three quotes that I think will challenge you to think hard and think long about this relationship that exists between the gospel and the church. The first is from Vodi Bauckham. He says, if a person doesn't love the church, they don't love Jesus. Shane Pruitt says it like this, as parents, when our actions tell our kids that chasing a ball is a greater priority than chasing Christ, Commitment to hobbies is a greater priority than commitment to church. Then we can't be surprised when Christ and church are low priorities to them and they become adults. Theologian Jonathan Lethem says those who love the gospel will love a church. While those who forsake every church effectively forsake the gospel. My question is, maybe what the same question you're pondering right now, are these like fringe and radical sentiments? Fair question. Maybe it's just church leaders, you know, trying to boost up their own institutions. Are you that cynical like me? Consider that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, teaches us to pray, Our Father, not my Father. That Jesus is never referred to, not one time in the scriptures as my personal savior. That Paul uses the phrase, my Lord, one time. Our Lord, 53 times. And even when Paul most famously defines and defends the gospel in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Did you get that? Paul's most famous declaration and defense of the gospel includes the glorious creation of the church, Jews and Gentiles coming together in faith. Consider the apostle Peter. He says, once you are not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Becoming the people of God and receiving the mercy of God happen simultaneously and they happen together. 
The rich implications of the gospel for your life includes a robust and living expression of that faith within the church. I almost said it like this, that I pray that you would understand the rich implications and the fullness of the gospel itself, Christ and the church. Let's come back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul talks about Christ breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Have you ever asked, what is that dividing wall of hostility? Did you know that that was a literal thing? Josephus, this famous Jewish historian of antiquity, tells us that the second temple, you know, built by Ezra and Nehemiah, was surrounded or was, quote, encompassed by a stone wall for a partition with an inscription which forbade any foreigner to go in under penalty of death. The wall was three cubits high, about four and a half feet high. And in 1871, archaeologists found the exact wording. I think it has it on the screen. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. This is not only trespassers will be prosecuted, but rather trespassers will be executed. And so Paul is saying to you, the wall is down. The Holy of Holies is open. You have full access to the grace and the holiness of God. But he's even saying more than that. Paul says in verse 21 that you are being joined together, growing into a holy temple of the Lord. The word for temple there is naos, which refers to the holy of holies, the place where God dwells. So Paul is saying, we do not as a church just go into the holy of holies. Paul is saying something way more astonishing. He's saying we are the holy of holies. We are the naos, the holy of holies. Look around, turn to your left, turn to your right, look behind you, look in front of you. This is the naos, the temple, the holy of holies. You cannot imagine or fathom a higher view of the church of Jesus Christ than that. And so I pray, Trinity, that you would grasp the full implications of the gospel of grace, Christ and his bride. My second prayer for you today is that I pray that you would be strengthened to receive the fire hydrant of blessings that God has in store for your life. And here I'm thinking, look at verse 16 and 17. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This is the first of three purpose clauses in this great prayer of Paul. And so Paul is basically saying, hey, you are standing in front of a full-on fire hydrant of God's blessings. Remember how Paul begins the book of Ephesians? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a lot of blessings. 
And so Paul knows that you will have to be strengthened with power inwardly to be able to receive all the blessings that God desires for your life. And so will you be washed away? Will you be blown away, unable to stand in front of the fire hydrant when God opens the nozzle and wants to blow blessings and wash you with blessings of amazing proportions? Or will you be a brick house? Will you be able to stand firmly and able to house all the divine treasures that God wants to pour into your life? The blessings are coming. God wants to bless you. The only question is, will you have the strength to receive them all? Stuart Briscoe once said that we need to be like the little boy who fell into a barrel of candy molasses, who was heard to say, Lord, make my capacity equal to this opportunity. God knows that straw houses are not fit for divine treasures. God knows that we are frail containers for the divine presence. Paper bags are not meant for valuable treasures. When I bought my wife her engagement ring, it's been 20 years now, so I just, I, I just happened to forget what it cost, probably, you know, like twenty or $30,000 at the time, and <laughs> as a broke seminary student. But what if, you know, the, the, the person, this lady that was selling me the ring just decided, hey, just, I got you a, a plastic, you know, Publix bag, you just drop your ring in here, and I'm going around, you know, walking out to my car, just swinging it around. That would be crazy, right? Paper bags are not meant for valuable treasures. So, too, we are frail containers of the divine treasure, the divine presence. So what does Paul pray for the Ephesians? This is what I pray for you. Oh Lord, won't you enlarge Trinity's capacity to experience the divine presence of God? God, you have more blessings you want to shower upon them. You desire to give more of your presence, more riches from your word, more of the divine wisdom to live out your days, more evidences, O Lord, of your love and your faithfulness in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ, more evidence of your people living out and growing in grace and growing in holiness. God, your people right now are standing in front of a fire hydrant of blessings that you want to pour out. And so my prayer for you that you would be strengthened in your inner being so you can receive all the blessings of God. Now, what does this look like? Paul adds that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. John Stott points out that there are two similar Greek words for the one English word dwell. Parkeleo and kateakeo. The first of those words is the weaker word. The first word means to inhabit a place as a stranger. It's the same word Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, for an alien living far from home. The second word, however, means to settle down. It refers to a permanent abode, a permanent lodging place rather than a temporary shelter. 
Paul is using the second word here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. In effect, Paul is saying, I pray that Christ would settle down in your heart. That Christ would make a home in your heart. That Christ would go through each little room of your heart and declutter things, rearrange the furniture, beautify the place, make lovely your heart to be a fit dwelling place for Jesus, where Jesus is delighted and pleased to take up residence and to dwell and to abide with you. Trinity, I pray that Christ would settle down in your heart. And from his residence there, he can protect you and strengthen you and be with you and bless you, make his face shine upon you. He can put steel in your backbone against temptation, that he can love you with an abundant and lavish love. That is my prayer for you. I pray that God would strengthen you to receive all the blessings that God wants to pour out in your life. That's my prayer for you this morning, my dear church family. My third prayer is this. I pray that you would know all the dimensions of Christ's love. Here, of course, I'm thinking of 17, second half of 17 through the first half of 19. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Think with me for a moment. Why did the Ephesian believers need to know the great love of Christ? To the Ephesian church, he is basically saying, hey, Gentiles and Jews, you are a third race. You're coming together to form a new humanity, and for that to happen, guess what has to happen? You need to comprehend the great love of God. Without love, the church does not hold together. Without love, this mystery of this new humanity may never come to fruition in actual practice. And so Paul is not praying this prayer of great love to bolster your personal self-esteem. Paul is saying that you need this kind of love to actually be the church. The church can be messy. The church can be complicated. The church can hurt your feelings, right? The church can be inconvenient. The church is always changing, and change is always hard. And so Paul is praying, you got to get in your heads the great love of Christ for this new humanity, which is the church, to actually make sense, for all this to come together. A few years ago, Dr. Barnhouse argue that love is intrinsic to all the fruits of the Spirit listed in Genesis or in Galatians chapter 5. Wouldn't the fruits of the Spirit be great for the church? Wouldn't the fruits of the Spirit be great for your marriage? Wouldn't the fruits of the Spirit be great for our witness so that as we heard our prayer today, that we might experience a revival of epic proportions even in our church, even in this community. He says it like this, love is the key, joy is love singing, peace is love resting, long-suffering is love enduring, 
Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding back the reins. Did Paul recognize that there's no fruit of the Spirit without a lifestyle of love? And so I pray for you today that you would be characterized by a lifestyle of love, that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. Several times when I was in the University of Edinburgh writing my dissertation, the great Dr. Brian Stanley of the University of Edinburgh would put out in red ink on the side of my dissertation, Jason, you are mixing your metaphors. And I wanted to be like, well, if Paul can do it, why can't I, right? Rooted is an agricultural metaphor. And then grounded is an architectural metaphor. So Paul is saying, I pray that your life might be nourished in the soil of Christ's love and also anchored and held down firmly in the love of Christ that when you go into the second and third and fourth stories of your life that you may always enter on the ground floor, the floor of love. I pray that you would know Christ's love in all its dimensions, the breadth and length and height and depth, the love of Christ. These are the four infinite magnitudes of the infinite love of Christ. John Stott, the English churchman, puts it like this. Christ's love is broad enough and wide enough to encompass all of humanity. Christ's love is long enough to last forever. Christ's love is deep enough to reach the most depraved and fallen sinner. And Christ's love is high enough to bring us all the way to the heights of heaven. The love of Christ is broad enough for everyone. Lasts forever. Reaches to the depth of my depravity and brings me to the height of heaven. Friend, do you know all the dimensions of Christ's love? Consider Christ's sustaining love. The kind of love that walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow of cancer, the shadow of broken relationships, the shadow of heartache. Christ sustains you in love. Consider Christ's forgiving love. The love that pardons you and cleanses you and purifies you and dusts you off and sets you on your feet knowing full well you'll fall again, but that you'll be forgiven yet again. Do you know the kind of father forgive them? They don't know what they do kind of love. Do you know the forgiving love of Christ? Do you know the deep friendship love of Jesus? Jesus tells you everything I heard from the father I have been made known to you just like a friend. You know the kind of love that you're never alone, never abandoned, never forsaken, never forgotten, never excluded, never have to go through life wondering, am I really and truly loved? You have a friend in Jesus. Christ's sustaining love. Christ's forgiving love. Christ's friendship love. There are so many dimensions of the love of Christ. Have you considered them all? Do you know all the dimensions of Christ's love? Have you considered that Christ cried at the tomb of Lazarus? Jesus wept. The people said, oh, look how he loved him. Do you know the kind of love that cries with you, weeps with you, 
suffers with you, that is in the boat with you when the waves come crashing down on your life, the weeping love of Christ for you kind of love? Have you considered Christ's teaching love? The kind of love that gives you the very words of God. That Christ teaches you not with impatience, not with, I thought you would know it by now, you knucklehead. But let me tell you again about the words of life, how to grow in holiness, how to grow in grace, the secrets to the kingdom of God. The pure in heart will see God. Do you know Christ's teaching love for you and your life? Have you considered Christ's resurrecting love? Kind of hope-filled love that always believes there is a tomorrow, never gives up on you, always holds out the promise for the future resurrection, that all the wrongs you have experienced in this life, this side of heaven, one day will be made right for you. Do you know Christ's resurrecting love, that you can rest secure in this very hopeful love, this triumphant love, the resurrecting love of Christ, the teaching love of Christ, the weeping heart of Christ's love for you. There's so many dimensions of the love of Christ. Pray that you consider them all, all the dimensions of the love of Christ. Have you considered the gentle and lowly heart of Christ for you? Ones that bid you to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The rest of Christ that longs for you to come to him to take your burdens, to carry your burdens, to to lighten your burdens. Have you pressed your heart this season, this week, today into the gentle and lowly heart of Christ? What would that mean for you if you experienced that dimension of Christ's love for you? Do you know the restoring love of Christ? The kind of love that doesn't shame you for your sin? It doesn't pick up a rock to stone you in your sin. The kind of love that asks you, where are all the other people that accuse you? Is there no one left? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Christ loves you and restores you even when you're caught in the very act of sin. You know the love that restores Peter after three betrayals. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, tend my sheep. Do you know Christ's restorative love for your life? Do you personally understand and experience Christ's compassionate love for you? And when Jesus passed by the blind man, all he had to do was just cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Do you know the compassion of Jesus for your life? That if you just get close enough to touch the fringes of his garment, that your life may never, ever be the same. Do you know the compassionate love of Christ? The restoring love of Christ? The burden-bearing love of Christ? Friend, just pick one dimension of Christ's love that you need to open your heart to. Your life won't be the same. So Paul is praying that you would know the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, the love of Christ in all of its dimensions. And here's the great paradox of that prayer. Paul prays that you might have strength to comprehend, strength to understand this great love, verse 18. But then he says in verse 19, 
This love of Christ surpasses knowledge. And so Paul is praying that you would comprehend an incomprehensible love. Does Paul recognize that even if you just get a very small thimble full of the love of Christ in your life, that you will never be the same? Paul also says that you would comprehend this incomprehensible love with whom? With all the saints. Isolated Christians know not of the depth of Christ's love. The non-church-going Christian misses out on the height and the width and the length of the love of Christ because this is a love that is experienced in the very bosom of the church with all the saints. And so when you are sharing your life and giving your life and experiencing your life with all the saints, there is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. So my prayer for you today is that you would leave pondering, considering, what dimension of the love of Christ have I yet to experience? What dimension can I press my heart into the gentle and lowly heart of Christ for this season, for this week, for this challenge? Christ-sustaining love. Christ-forgiving love. Christ friendship love to you, that you have a friend in Jesus all the days of your life. The resurrecting love of Christ, that hope is always around the corner for the believer. The teaching love of Christ, that he gives us the very words of God. The weeping heart of Christ's love. Oh, look how he loved him. He's weeping with you. He's suffering with you. The compassionate love of Christ, that all you need to do is cry out, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Sinner. The restoring love of Christ. Has it been a while since you felt the very love of Christ in your life, in your family, in your church? Maybe you're going through a season of depression, desolation. God is with you there. The restoring love of Christ, or maybe even the burden-bearing love of Christ, that you are going at a pace that is totally unsustainable for your life. You have a bunch of burdens you're carrying day in and day out. Christ, in his love, wants to lighten your load. That's the kind of love that he has for you. I pray that you would know all the dimensions of the love of Christ. I pray as your pastor that you would be strengthened to withstand the fire hydrant of Christ-centered and spirit-endowed blessings that God longs and wants to pour out on your life. Can you be strengthened enough to receive all the say, stand in front of the fire hydrant blessings and say, Lord, bless me, I'm ready. I've been strengthened in my inner spirit by your word, by your saints, to receive all the blessings that you have for me. I pray that you would grasp, together with all the saints gathered here, this motley crew of a church, all the rich implications of the gospel, Christ, and the beauty of his bride. That is my prayer for you. Let's go to God in prayer together. Father, there's so many dimensions of this love that you shower upon your people. 
We could go on and on and on and on today. Just reading the Gospels. Seeing how great your loving heart is for sinners and sufferers. Read through the end of Revelation to know your great love that knows no bounds. And so my prayer for Trinity today, my brothers and sisters, your beloved bride. Are these prayers, Father, prick our conscience that we might walk in newness of life. So thank you for the Apostle Paul. It's our prayer for our church in this season, we pray. this final song today um, Jessica's just going to sing it over you we'll just change the song mid-sermon but this is what the Lord wants to do this morning we're going to sing this over you today I want you to close your eyes as we sing it just receive and if you want to respond this morning the altar is going to be open if you want a new touch from the Lord if you want to Receive from him in an area of your life. Just come and just kneel. Nobody's going to be watching you. Just come and just do business with the Lord this morning.
going to continue to play this. We're going to sing it through again quietly. Jakey is just going to come and give the benediction. These people are still doing business with the Lord. If you want to come this morning, there's still time. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints here at Trinity Wellsprings Church, what is the breadth and length, height and depth? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You might have the experience of being filled with all the fullness of God. Today I want to invite you back. We'll be having a spaghetti dinner bless the Powers family at noon today in the Fellowship Hall. Lane Powers funeral. So many of you know her and love her. Her funeral will be at 4 o'clock on Tuesday right here in the sanctuary. If you're new to the Trinity family, we'd love to give you a gift and you can come out and meet our team there at the Welcome Center. We would love to journey with you and experience the love of Christ through your life share the love of Christ with you. If anybody just needs to get prayed for after the service, we have a prayer team here waiting just to pray for you to walk with a difficult season or just to pray and just a joy that's been on your life. 
Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance and give you peace. The Lord loves you. He is crazy about you. Now go get it.